And um, if you're a guest with us today, our time here at this point in the service is usually a little bit different. Uh, most of the time I would preach from uh, a text and look deeply into God's word and we would examine those things together. Today is just a little bit different. Today is what we have called the annual to the church address. And so um, uh, for the last couple of years, we've been taking this first Sunday in January to examine where we've come from, um, maybe some of the things that have happened in the last year, and then what we have to look forward to in this coming year uh, and see where God is going to be leading us. And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. And as you see, the slides behind me, um, they're going to help us walk through this topic together this morning. So when we begin to think about uh, looking at where we are as a church, it's, uh, sometimes it's a little bit like a, a going to a doctor's appointment, isn't it? Uh, you've gone to the doctor's appointment where you go and you sit down and the doctor begins to explain something to you that uh, you didn't really want to hear, um, but then he begins to explain a little bit more and you begin to find out, wow, I, I guess I really did need to hear this information. It's not all good news, but then he gives you that, that hope. And he gives you the solution to your problem and says, if you'll take this medication, then all will be well. And he sends you on your way. That's kind of what I'm hoping that we can do together this morning. Uh, as we come together, some of the information that we'll discover together is not necessarily good news. Uh, but I believe God has a plan for this church and I believe he's going to do great things. And uh, we have some definite uh, answers to the problems that we face. And so I look forward to what God is going to do in this coming year and uh, in, in the years to come after that. So as we begin this time together, I do want to focus on one particular verse of Scripture. And uh, it's on that next slide, Lizzie. Jeremiah 17. It says, The blessed man is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And it seems as though Jeremiah was very familiar with Psalm 1. But as we look at this, just this verse of Scripture, I think that we can, we can glean a little bit for ourselves, maybe individually, but uh, what I would like to say as a church today, as we think about uh, where we are in relationship to God and where we are in relationship to our own history, uh, we want to be a church that is blessed, right? We want to be a church that God is pouring out His Spirit upon, that God is using to uh, bring people to Christ. And so if we're going to be healthy, though, we have to be planted next to the stream. And the stream is God's Word. And so when we find ourselves being a little weak, or we find ourselves uh, going down a path that we don't want to go as a congregation, we need to come back to the stream. We need to go back to the Word of God and allow the Word of God to be that nourishing element in our lives and in our congregational life. So when we look at the next couple of slides here in a few minutes, uh, we'll see that over the last 10 years, and even maybe stretching beyond that a little bit, uh, we have experienced a decline. Uh, we, we've experienced a decline in membership, membership involvement. Uh, we've experienced decline in baptisms. And, uh, and so when we look at those kinds of statistics, uh, it's important for us to understand that right now um, we are in somewhat a season of drought. And so as we find ourselves in this kind of a circumstance, we need to make sure that we are tethered to that stream of water. We want to be receiving the word of God into our life as a congregation so that we can move forward 
and remain faithful to what God has called us to do. And that is to bear fruit. Um, that's what good trees do, right? They bear fruit. And so as a church, if we're going to be a tree, we want to bear fruit. And what does bearing fruit look like for a congregation? Well, it's very simple. It's making disciples, isn't it? Uh, it's not so much gathering up a bunch of money. It's not necessarily uh, adding on to your building, but it's making disciples. That's what bearing fruit looks like for a church. And so that's what we want to do. So let's look together just for a moment at the problems that we face. Now, when we think about the problem, there are significant signs uh, that help us understand the problem that we face. Uh, the, the signs somewhat, they're, they're obvious if we want to take the time to look at them. And it takes, honestly, it takes uh, just a, a, a real honest assessment uh, of the information when we, when we begin to look at it. And honestly, this is just a, a healthy practice for churches to do on a regular basis. And that's one of the things that we use this time for as a congregation on the first Sunday in January is just to assess where we have been and where we believe God wants us to go in the future. And so it's a very good practice for us to do. So as we look at the signs that we face, um, the first one is a spiritual apathy, spiritual apathy. And these are all what you might say is just kind of steps down a declining path. Um, these are some of the things that I have seen in our own congregation, but it's something that we see on a more general, uh, in a more general way in many congregations around the United States. And these, these signs are somewhat like steps that lead us to a place that we don't want to go to. Okay? So the first one is spiritual apathy. We, we see this, or I see this, in, in a lack of interest in spiritual growth. And, and it's kind of like the, when Jesus told the, the parable of the seeds, and there was the, the one seed that was sown among the thorns, and what happened to that seed? Well, it was, it was choked out, right, by the cares of the world, uh, by the riches of the world. And, and that's what we see a lot of times in churches, and that's what we've seen in the declining amount of uh, participants in Sunday morning Bible study or Wednesday night prayer meetings. We see kind of this uninterest uh, because everybody, let's face it, we, we've got a lot of things going on in our lives, don't we? Uh, there's a tremendous amount of pull on our time, on our interest, on our energy. And so we find ourselves um, being choked out by the cares of the world. So spiritual apathy is one of the, uh, the things that we need to pay attention to as a sign. Uh, the next is a lack of vision. It's very easy for a church to lose its vision, uh, to lose what its, its primary purpose is. And uh, over the last couple of years, we try to employ a uh, a vision or a mission statement that we make we live to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the good of all people. Um, but it doesn't really do us any good if I'm the only one that believes that. Right. Isn't that true. If you go to, uh, to go to work and you have a vision, say you're a manager, you have a vision for what you want your work environment to be like. And nobody else really seems to share that vision, but has their own kind of vision about what they see that environment ought to be like. Well, you can believe that all you want, but unless it's collectively shared by those who are in your working place, um, then that vision won't actually take, take root. So, so as a church, many times it's, it's, it's difficult because you know, we all have differing opinions on what the purpose of our church is. And so as a church, 
One of the problems, one of the things, one of the signs of trouble that leads you down a path of decline is when there is a lack of cohesive vision for that church. The next sign that we would notice is minimal giving. Minimal giving. Uh, giving records, and uh, if, if you've come to the business meetings, if you've looked at the, uh, at, the, at the budget and different things over the last three or four years, you will notice that our budget continues to decrease. And the reason for that is because giving is down. And so one of the things that, that happens in churches as they decline is not only is there a spiritual lack of interest, not only is there a lack of cohesive vision, but there is also a lack of willingness to give of their financial resources. And so that's one of the things that we see also as, a, as an issue for us as well. And then passive attitudes. Now, this is a major challenge, not just with our church, um, but, but with many churches. And I would say maybe not so much with our church, but it's some, one of those signs that you want to kind of point at to, uh, to say, hey, we need to be cautious about this. Uh, and that is just this uh, an unwillingness to commit to things. Um, unwillingness to commit to uh, positions, uh, new leadership roles, uh, willingness to come and be equipped under Bible study or leadership development training. Um, we need teachers, honestly. We need, we need people to work in nursery and to work happily and cheerfully in nursery. Uh, we need people to work in, in children's departments. We need we need people to, to serve on various committees. And um, we need greeters. That's one of the things that is most weak about our church is, is our greeting ministry. And so some of those things we, we see there's this, it's not that there's a lack of places for you to serve, but most of the time it's just a lack of willingness to actually jump in and do it. And so that's, that's what we continue to, to find. All right. The next one is survival mode, survival mode. Now, this. It's funny, this this particular one, and I promise we're going to get to the good news. OK, everybody's all really despondent looking at me. OK, survival mode, survival mode. Uh, it, it happens like this when uh, we, we can see it most clearly, maybe in the way that we use our finances. Right. So we have some money. Uh, we don't want to spend it on the things of ministry or mission or whatever because we need to hold on to it. We need to hold on to it because we know something bad is going to happen. All right? Now, when, when that happens, it, it, it breeds this kind of survivalist kind of, of mode uh, where we, we have to cling to the things that we have because we don't know if we're going to have them again next year. And um, what, what that says is we don't know if good things are in front of us. Most likely it's bad things, so we need to cling to what we've got. And, um, and oftentimes churches that face this, maybe even more so than some of, uh, some of you in our church, is, is when you look at your leaders, and, uh, well, in Southern Baptist circles, sadly, the, the, the average tenure of a pastor is about three years, and, you know, which is up, honestly. Um, about ten years ago, it was about one and a half years. But, but right now, we're sitting at five years with me being here, and most of you, yeah, a, a good portion of you. Most of you look at me and say, wow, he hadn't been here that long, right? Right? I've been here a lot longer than he is, and when he's gone, I'll still be here. So we're just going to continue to plug along doing the same things that we've done in the past. And, and you may not actually say that out loud. If you did, hopefully someone would correct you. But, but if you thought it, right, 
there's there's this survivalist kind of mode like we're, we're the we're the in crowd here and he's going to go away and then we'll have some other spring chicken in here and he'll do what he wants to do for a good amount of time and then he'll go away. That kind of attitude is is very detrimental to the church as well as it just continues uh, to foster this downward trend and a decline. Um, so. This survivalist kind of mode is something that's very, very dangerous. And when you think about the things that we've done in the past and and now some of those things really aren't working as well as they maybe did a long time ago, um, the definition of insanity is what? When you do the same thing over and over again and then you expect what? Different results, right? And that just that doesn't happen a lot of times with church, especially as, as culture changes and as context and people change. So this is something we need to pay attention to. The, the last one is downward momentum. Downward momentum. What happens when you fill up a sink with water and then you take out the plug? Like, I mean, it's like a tornado, right? You, you can see it. It's like a funnel all the way out, right? Um, this is what happens as churches are on a path of decline. Um, it just is a continual downward spiral uh, eventually where you have to close the doors. And on the, the next slide, you'll notice there's a graph here that I want to show you. And this graph is the current attendance projections for Jefferson Town Baptist Church. The green bars represent uh, the, uh, the worship attendance current rate. You'll notice back in 1996, we were up to 225 is what the, uh, uh, the convention told us through the reports that we file every year. And you'll notice that there's some years that were up, but there's this continual downward decline in attendance. Uh, and so when you actually do the math and, and, and find the decline rate, the red line marks the decline rate. So in 2014, 2015, 16, 17, 18, we don't know those numbers because they haven't ha- happened yet, right? But if we continue down the same rate of decline, by 2025, uh, our doors will be closed. And the reason for that is because we are actually losing people at a greater rate than we're, we're getting new people. Um, people in our congregation are passing away, and the rate of people coming to Christ as a result of our faithful gospel ministry is less than the amount of people that are dying and, and removing themselves from membership. So, I hope that that's sobering to you. It was to me and Will as we were looking at the math together. Um, so we see these issues. These are, this, is, this is signs of trouble, right? We, we are in a decline. And I don't want to get to a point where we kind of sugarcoat it because I feel like sometimes when we sugarcoat it, uh, it makes it sound a little better and makes us not as motivated to change. Um, but over the last 10 years, what we've seen is that we are in a decline and there is a solution to the problem, okay? There is a solution to the problem. Let's go to the next slide. The solution is revitalization. And revitalization, uh, go to the next slide, Lizzie. Revitalization is an effort to revive an established but struggling church. It requires a change in direction, patience, and understanding. Its goal is to become a healthy, diverse, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church for the glory of God. Revitalization is something that, um, that we can't simply do on our own uh, but it's something that God does through us uh, as a congregation. And the next slide, Terry Walling says that revitalization is a spiritual process. 
And so it's, it's a process that takes humility. It's a process that takes patience. It's a process that takes prayer uh, for us to be revived into being a, a thriving environment for uh, growth and discipleship in our community. But when we think about revitalization, revitalization, there are some key components that go alongside revitalization. The first of these is revitalization happens when known sin is confessed. When known sin is confessed. Now, as a congregation, uh, we, we, have, we have things that we have done together that um, would be sin. And one of those is not being as evangelistic as we ought to be as a congregation. Now, all of us probably struggle with that. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have had just one baptism last year. Um, so there are sins in our own congregational life that we ought to be confessing. One of those is maybe commitment to foreign missions. One of those is maybe commitment to, uh, to those in our own neighborhoods who are struggling and need assistance and help and love, um, whatever they might be. And you, in your own personal life, you want to think about uh, what is it that is keeping me from being fully committed to the work of God here in this church, right? Those are the things that keep us from revitalization. Right, Because we're a congregation, we're one body under the headship of Jesus Christ. And so if one body part is, is rebellious and not doing the things that it ought to be doing, um, then it takes the whole body uh, uh, down the wrong path. And so um, s- confession of sin is, is very important. And that's one of the things I want as a congregation, us to think about and do today. That's one of the things that we'll be able to do in our response time after this address is think about what, what sins do we need to confess and in what ways is God calling us to be more faithful in this coming year. The second is revitalization happens by focusing on the possibilities. Oh, sometimes we get so distracted by what used to happen. And we look back maybe at those older days and, and it's kind of, we look a lot of times through, uh, through rose-colored glasses at, at our former days. It's kind of like, have you ever been to a funeral and when you go to that funeral, you knew the person, and they, they really weren't quite as kind and generous and funny and energetic as everyone who gets up to speak about them says they were, right? So things always look better when the person is lying there in a casket. But sometimes that's the way it is with churches. Sometimes we look in our, in our minds back into our memory, and we see all of the glory and all the wonderment that happened back 50, 60 years ago, and we think, wow, if only we could do what we were doing then, right? As a church, if we want to be revived by the Holy Spirit, we can't, we can't be nostalgic. We can't look back to what happened a long time ago, uh, except to look back and to learn from what happened then. But we need to look forward at the possibilities. We need to look forward at the possibilities, because I don't know about you, but I don't think God's done with Jefferson Town Baptist Church. I think there are some really amazing things in our future. I think that God is ready to make a a mighty move within our midst. um, And it takes us being willing to commit to him uh, for him to pour out those blessings upon us. So revitalization happens by focusing on the possibilities. Oh, and if I didn't say this before, I'm going to say it now. This address is probably going to be a little longer than our normal sermon time. So just bear with me. If you get a little bored, just focus on the images and you'll be solid. All right. Revitalization happens through small victories along the way, right? 
Revitalization happens through small victories along the way. When we think about what God is doing, it's, it's not that, that helpful to just look at the big things to try and figure out what's happening uh, or what's, uh, what should be celebrated. We want to look at the smaller things too, right? So we want to look at, at all of the wonderful things that happened this year in MOVE, which we will here in just a, a few minutes. Uh, we want to celebrate those small victories. We want to celebrate um, the, uh, uh, the special studies that we have or the evangelism outings or the going to the refugee ministry and helping with that. We want to celebrate these small movements of God as he is continually working on individual hearts to bring us to a, a cohesive vision of missions, evangelism, discipleship. So we want to celebrate those things. We have to if we want to be revived. Uh, the, the next was revitalization happens when our focus stops being on us and instead becomes our community. Right? The, when we are in that survival mode, uh, we begin to think only about ourselves. So do we have enough money to pay the bills? Uh, do we have uh, enough ministries to go around for our own people? Is there care for the children? Is there proper classes for the children? Is the c- ceiling looking cracked? Which it is. Look. Right? We begin to look right at ourselves instead of focusing on the outside world, which is what we need to do if we're going to be revived. We can't, it, it, we can't be revived if we're just simply looking at one another. We have to get outside these doors, right? We have to be a church that's on mission. All right, so let's look at a couple of questions that we want to ponder this morning together. The first is, what is our purpose? And I talked about that just for a moment, just a few minutes ago. What is our purpose? Now, if I was to ask each of you individually, what do you think our purpose is? How many different answers would I get? Probably a lot, right? Some of them would be similar. Some of them might be really way off. But, like, there would be some different answers, right? What is our purpose? Our purpose as a church is to make disciples. That's the reason we exist. That's the reason we exist. So as a church, we have to be collectively, we have to be together on what our purpose is and what we are supposed to be doing for the glory of God. And so the next question is, is our present model of ministry, is it accomplishing that purpose? So if our, if our purpose, like our mission statement says, we live to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the good of all peoples, that's our purpose. When we look at our ministries and the way that we're doing church, is that method of ministry accomplishing that purpose? For the most part, I feel like we're in a good place. We've we've come to a good place, but there's still quite a bit of tweaking that needs to go on with the way that we do ministry uh, so that we can be more efficient, more effective. And those are some of the things that we're going to touch on this morning here in just a few minutes. Uh, The next question is, who are we trying to reach? Who are we trying to reach? Someone once said that if you you aim at nothing, you will most certainly hit that mark, right? Um, Who are we trying to reach? As a church, we're trying to reach who? Your friend? Your coworker? Um, Refugees? People living here that don't speak the same language as we, who are we trying to reach? So as a church, that's something that we ought to seriously consider. Um, the next question, 
Is our church worth changing? Is our church worth... Nope, next question is, is our church at risk? My notes are a little off. I was supposed to be able to run this from up here, but I can't. Is our church at risk? Well, from the information that we've had, what would you say? Yes. Yes, our church is at risk. Churches that um, typically... Churches that have been in a decline for three to four years, church growth experts tell us, uh, are churches at risk uh, because that rate of decline in those three or four years um, have a downward pull. Uh, churches that have been in a decline of 10 or more years, um, most church experts say that those churches probably ought to just go ahead and close their doors. I don't think we're there yet. I think we're in a good place to realize that there are some significant things that we need to do as a church to turn around um, so that we can see what God is going to do in our midst. All right. And then the last question is, is our church worth saving? I say yes. All right. Do you say yes? All right. Yes, we can. No, I'm not going to do it. Okay. All right. Next, next slide. Next slide. Maybe. There we go. Turning around. That's what we want to do. Turning around. Next slide. And the next. There we go. All right. So if we're going to turn around, you saw that there is that there is steps, signs to decline, but there's also steps to health. And that's what we want to look at together. So the first is a collective vision. And um, we've, we've talked about what our mission statement is. My hope is that uh, by the end of 2014, you would be able to say that mission statement with me. We live to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the good of all people, right? So that's our vision. That's our mission statement as a church. But we, we need to have a collective vision when it comes to making disciples, when it comes to evangelism. Uh, we need to have uh, a single-minded obedience to what God has called us to do. And that's what I'm going to call win one. Go to the next slide. Win one. Now, here's the question. Next question. The question is, do you know one person who needs Christ? Raise your hand if you do. Excellent. Excellent. All of us know one person who needs Christ. Next slide. Will you commit to winning one person for Christ in 2014? I'm not asking you to go soul winning every Monday night with me. I'm not asking you to uh, sign up to uh, go on evangelistic outings every quarter. What I'm asking you to, next slide, what I'm asking you to do is select one person in your life. It can be a coworker, it could be a family member, it could be a, a child, it could be the, the cashier at Walmart, it could be. Uh, a gentleman down at the gas station that you want to see come to Christ. One person. Will you commit to pray for that person every day? So you have that person in your mind. Maybe you haven't yet. Maybe you're sorting through all of the lost people you know as, as friends and you want to select one specifically. Um, will you pray for that person? Next slide. Will you prepare yourself to share the gospel with them? Maybe you feel... Uh, like you're not prepared. Maybe you, you feel a little bit nervous about sharing your faith with this person. Well, we're going to have training this year. 
training to equip you to be able to share the gospel faithfully with that person. Next slide. And will you take every opportunity to share Christ with them? This is what we're calling the win one campaign. Okay, the next slide. I want you to imagine if we all had that same vision. If every single one of us, right now, the number, you could fudge it a little bit, but the average attendance last year was 78 on a Sunday morning, okay? Imagine if 78 of us, 78 believers, would just win one for Christ in 2014. Imagine if, if we did that. It, 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 next slide, Lizzie. Our, our, our mission statement is we live to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the good of all people. Next slide. So what would happen if every active believer in our church, let's just say 78, would commit to winning one person every year for the next five years? Next. It'd blow your mind up. In 2014, there'd be 156 people in this church. In 2015, 312. In 2016, 624. In 2017, 1,248. In 2018, 2,496. Imagine what God can do with faithful people. D.L. Moody, and I'm going to paraphrase it, D.L. Moody once said that the world has yet to see what God can do with one consecrated Christian. One Christian who is sold out. And honestly... I think that sold out Christian, he's probably going to do more than just win one every year, right? So imagine if we were just a little bit consecrated, what God could do. If we would just win one for the next five years, 2,496 people would be affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ and baptized. We'd have to plant churches because we can't house that many people. I don't know if you know this or that or not. We can't hold that many people. Next slide. The numbers go crazier, though, right? By, by 2036 or 2035, if, if that continued to happen, 327 million people would be affected by the gospel witness of Jefferson Town Baptist Church. That's the population of the United States and the country of Hungary. The point of me saying this, because this is a little bit crazy, right? A little bit ridiculous. But is it? Is it? If God had 78 people who were willing to commit to him to win one person to Christ in 2014, and they continue to do that with the rest of their life, imagine what would happen. Not just with this church, but with the world. And my point in saying all of this is, friends, we're not in a place where we're just lost out. We're, we're, we're nobodies in the kingdom. If we would be faithful, God will use us to do great things for his kingdom. Next slide. So we have to have that collective vision. But then we also, we have to have development, leadership development. And that's one of the things that we're going to touch on here in just a few minutes. Next. Next step, internal ministries. We're going to look at that. There's some things that we need additionally as far as ministry goes. Um, that we need to correct some things we need to just add all together next stewardship advancement we're going to talk about money we're going to talk about stewardship next facility restoration 
We'll get to that. And then evangelism and missions. That'll be where we finish up this morning. All right, so let's look together at those topics looking toward 2014. The first is leadership development, excuse me, leadership development and member care. Leadership development and member care. When we think about making disciples, one of the most important key aspects of making disciples is leadership development. As a pastor, my, my job is not, is not so much to, um, to teach you, teach you, and teach you so that you can continue to be taught, right? My job as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So it's leadership development. That's what a pastor is called to do, is to equip you to minister. So uh, one of the worst things maybe that people started calling pastors was ministers, because then you have professional ministers instead of all of us ministering together as a body and having a shepherd leader, right? A servant leader um, to guide you. But, but all of us are ministers. And so pastors, we are, we, we are called to equip you so that you can do the work of ministry. And so one of those key ways we're going to do that this year, next slide, is called Ministry Grid. And over the last couple of Sundays, we've been looking at Ministry Grid, talking about Ministry Grid. Uh, ministry Grid is a an online platform for leadership development. And, um, and I'm just going to show you a short video about it. Go ahead. What makes a strong leader? Is it the books they read? The programs they attend? Or is it a born ability? Maybe it's something bigger, something beyond the individual. Place the mantle of leadership on an individual in a church and you'll quickly see that no person can single-handedly carry the mission. There are too many parts, too many needs for one leader. The truth is that God has gifted every single person to lead in some way. That's why the church is described as a body with many parts. Every part, every role matters. The church is not just a group of people with a gifted leader. It's a community of gifted people dependent on Christ and each other to fulfill God's purpose. Leadership in the church is not a hierarchy, it's an ecosystem. In an ecosystem, every component is dependent on every other to survive. If one area is weak, every other area suffers. But when the whole ecosystem functions as intended, it doesn't just survive, it thrives. In the church, the leadership ecosystem is crucial for health and unity. But how does it happen? The ecosystem begins with godly leaders who feel a biblical conviction to train. This is essential. A healthy leadership culture springs out of a passion for developing young leaders, continually providing ongoing development as they grow and reproduce themselves. Gradually, a pipeline is formed, and resources, encouragement, and support flow throughout the entire church. But a framework is needed to pull the ecosystem together and ensure its sustainability. Ministry Grid provides churches with a customizable framework for leadership development and makes building an ecosystem of leadership simpler than ever before. Don't just build leaders. Build a leadership ecosystem. Ministry Grid is going to be a very helpful tool for us in this coming year. Liz, you can go to that next slide. Go ahead. So the big question is, how does it work? Next. It's very simple. You log on and watch the video. That seems simple, doesn't it? Um, one of the great tools that uh, that Lifeway has given us 
is this ministry grid. And the way that it works is you simply register for an account, which is one of the things you can do today during your response time, is say that you would like a login and you would like to do some, some training and equipping. But um, it really is as simple as logging on and watching the video. Next. Who can access it? Next. So you can register for a login and you can train at your convenience. That's one of the beautiful things about Ministry Grid. What we've discovered over the years is that with how people's schedules are really busy, uh, it's really difficult to get people all together on a Saturday for a seminar or to have some sort of training event. Um, and so what they've undertaken is to develop a way that people can do training at their own convenience at home or at a coffee shop or wherever you find yourself with a mobile device. Next. Will there be training? That's funny. I didn't really think about it when I wrote that line. But yes, there will be training on training. Training on ministry grid training on January 15th. We're going to do that on a Wednesday night. Uh, so plan to come, especially if you, you want to, uh, if you're sold out and ready to sign up today, then come so we can talk about how it's all going to work and we'll have it up on the big screen and we'll show you how to navigate through it and everything. If you're just a little bit hesitant because maybe you, you don't feel that equipped to, uh, to go out online and, and, and to do training like that, come and, uh, and, and we'll walk you through it and uh, hopefully it'll be something that you can jump into as well. Next. So when does it start? It's going to start on January 19th. January 19th. All right, next slide. Acts for Life. Acts for Life. Let's talk a little bit about Wednesday nights. Acts for Life. Put my sheet around. Okay. Acts will be the new studies that we're going to have on Wednesday evenings. You can go to the next one, Lizzie. Acts stands for Advanced Christian Training Studies. And so next The purpose of Acts is to give opportunity for further spiritual growth and equipping. Um, so this is, this is just kind of like a little bit of icing on top. One of the things that we want to do is make disciples, right? That's, that's our mission. That's our primary goal. And so we want to give ample opportunity for equipping of our disciples. And that includes all of us. Next. Studies are going to be planned so that there is little preparation required from you. My aim in all of this is, is to not distract you from Sunday morning Bible study. Sunday, Sunday morning Bible study is absolutely key. If you're not involved in Sunday morning Bible study, you need to be. Um, that is the pipeline uh, for spiritual maturity and growth right now as we have it in the church. Uh, we are doing some excellent Bible studies uh, and, uh, and have some very good teachers to lead those Bible studies. And so I want to encourage you to be in those Bible studies and taking part in them. And so my, my plan is not to distract you from those Bible studies because they're a little bit intense if you're doing them uh, like they're sh they should be done. done. Take some time. So on Wednesday night, uh, what, I'm, what I'm not going to have is a bunch of studies that you have to come and then you have to read this book for your Wednesday night study and then on Sunday morning, then you have to do all of this inductive Bible study work. And so all of your free time, all of your, everything that you're doing, you're just like trying to get all of these things accomplished for church. Um, what happens when, when you find yourself in that kind of position? You just ax the whole thing. I'm done. I'm toast. I don't want to do this anymore. 
right? So that is not what I want to see happen to you. So when you come on Wednesday nights, my plan is to have training there available for you to you so that you can enjoy it, so that it can be something that you're being equipped to do, uh, but not having homework to take home with you and to do it that way. Next. So Acts will, will, uh, will replace our normal prayer meeting on Wednesday evenings. So next, next slide. So what about prayer? What about prayer? Well, I think that prayer is absolutely essential to the health of our church. So what I don't want you to hear me saying is we're axing prayer for the church. Right? Why? Pastor got up and gave this address and said, man, we're not praying anymore. We're done. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that the way that we're doing our prayer meetings are not as effective as they should be. Okay? So let's look at the next. Our prayer meetings have steadily declined both in uh, attendance and effectiveness. Um, we have, especially when it comes to the summer months, just a dwindling amount of folks coming uh, for prayer meeting. And uh, it's, it's not as effective as it needs to be. And so what we want to do, Pastor Cameron and I have discussed, uh, we, we, want to, we want to create more of an emphasis on our Sunday mornings for prayer, congregational prayer. And we also want to uh, increase the amount of praying that we are doing on Sunday evenings in our move group sessions before they begin. Next slide. So what will Acts look like? Acts is going to begin in February, as you've probably already noticed if you look through the bulletin. Next. Uh, and there's going to be three studies offered right now. The first one is a study on how to read the Bible for all it's worth. I'm going to be teaching one on uh, called Digging Deep. So we're going to look at how, how we read the Bible, um, how we interpret the Scriptures, and uh, give us some, some tools to do that uh, in, a, in a better way. Next, we're going to have a, a woman's Bible study. There's been uh, some interest in that, and so we want to provide that for you ladies who want to take part in a ladies' Bible study. And then we're going to have two discipleship groups. And we've, we've been having discipleship groups for quite some time, um, but we want, to, we want to facilitate those being in a more convenient uh, time frame. And so we're going to use, use that Wednesday night time frame to, to create a couple of new discipleship groups. All right, next. Acts classes are going to meet in the spring and in the fall. Wow, time has escaped. And um, then in the summer, what we're planning to do is life groups. And so what we've done over the past several summers is we've had, we've had um, Wednesday night prayer meetings maintained throughout the summer we, we cancel the dinners that we typically have, which usually draw the crowd, right? Because we're Baptists. But then we don't have children's programs. And so we, then we have all these random kids, mine included, who just don't have anything to do. And so what we, what we want to do is think through that whole situation. I believe if we move to a life groups idea, this is much more convenient and helpful. So instead of having something here on campus on Wednesday nights, during the summers, we will have a book study in homes. And so uh, we'll be doing that instead of Wednesday night meetings. So life groups will take the place of acts groups uh, for those summer months. Next. Discipleship groups. Go ahead to the next one. Discipleship groups are something that are already existing. And maybe you're in a discipleship group and you're enjoying it. What I want to do at this point is open up those discipleship groups uh, in a way that um, more people can be a part of those. 
Um, they are very, very helpful. Next slide, Lizzie. Discipleship groups bring together three elements which create a climate for the Holy Spirit to bring accelerated spiritual growth. And, and I believe that those who have been involved in these discipleship groups, discipleship groups would say that that is, that is the case. Um, next. They focus on three primary aspects. The unchanging truth of God's word. Next. The transparent relationships that you have and then mutual accountability in those uh, discipleship group relationships. So if you wanted to be in a discipleship group, say on Wednesday night at a time when it was convenient so that you're not adding another evening to your already existing busy schedule, what could you expect? Well, the first thing is we uh, are using this discipleship essentials curriculum and every week you would be studying one core truth that is really helpful for us as Christians. Next. Then you would be doing scripture memorization with your partners, with your accountability partners. And also an inductive Bible study on a particular topic. And finally, a short weekly reading. Now, what I don't want to say to you is uh, it's a lot of work. But it's a lot of work. Okay? So, I want you to be involved in Sunday morning Bible study. And if you wanted to be involved in a discipleship group, I highly recommend it. But I want you to know up front that it does take some work to be involved with and to do it well. Um, But I also want to say at the same time, you will be greatly blessed for being a part of it. Um, It will be an incredible experience, not only to grow spiritually in your own life, but also to experience that growth together in that kind of a, uh, a greenhouse of discipleship. Next, ministry enhancements. I'm going to go through these really quickly, Lizzie. You can just throw them up. Um, the first is we need to create a, a greeting ministry. Um, we, we have guests, um, even here this morning, and um, most of them probably weren't received by a greeter. And so one of the things that we want to do as a church is create a greeting ministry uh, that we can have a rotating group of people that greet people, take them where they need to be, answer their questions, help them in any way that they need to be helped. Okay, And I want you to... Uh, Honestly, consider that in our response time here in a few minutes about signing up for that. And then also creation and production of church publicity materials. Um, It's just the nature of things. Uh, Publicity and logos and all those kinds of things, they fade, they become old. And so that's some of the things that we want to reinvest in this coming year. Next. The membership renewal project. Unbelievable how quickly time goes away from you. Okay. The first is the purpose of the project. When we talk about the membership renewal project, this is something that myself and the deacons are going to be working on this year. Uh, The purpose behind this project is we want every church member to grow in the relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, That's our desire. We want to bring renewal to church members who are no longer active in the church. And so as we look at our membership roster, we we see that there are people on our on our membership roles that some of us don't even know anymore. Uh, And some of us, we haven't seen them for six months or a year. And so we want to go after them. We want to see them come back into active membership. And then we want to ensure that our membership is made up of believers. And so this is a project that we're uh, setting out to accomplish in this coming year. Next. So how can you help when we think about this? Well, the first is visit the church website. It's uh, right there, www.jtownbaptist.com, and complete the membership information form. Now, I realize that most of you here sitting this morning 
uh, you, you're looking at me and say, well, I'm already a member. Why do I need to fill out the membership information form? Uh, the reason I want you to fill out the membership information form is we don't have accurate information on all of our members. And so I, I really need you to go to the website and fill that out. It's very simple. Won't take you a whole lot of time. But then also another way that you can help is to invite members that have been inactive to return. Now, you're sitting there probably thinking, you, you're thinking of several people maybe that you know are members of our church, but they're not here this morning. That's my computer, I'm sorry. All right, and then finally pray for the pastor and deacons as they meet with inactive members. I really thought I'd be done before 12 o'clock, so it wouldn't do that again, but. Okay, next. Is anybody falling asleep? If you've got a lunch thing, go. All right. If you're not getting up, I'm just going to continue on. Stewardship advance. You might want to get up for this one. I don't know. We are stewards of what God has given us, right? That's what we are. We are stewards of all of the blessings, all of the resources that God has given us. So all members should give financially to the work of ministry in our church. And, and when you really think about your giving, 10% is a really good place to begin. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a tithe. It's a good place to begin, but it, in no way, most of the time, is it a, a sacrifice to give simply 10%. But as a church in September, we voted on a new constitution and bylaws update as well as a brand new church covenant. And I hope, and I'm sure, all of you read through the church covenant before you voted, probably, right? Yes, of course you did. Because here in our church covenant, it says we will cheerfully give of our financial resources for the faithful work of the gospel ministry among us, for the support of the poor, widow, and orphan, and for the promotion of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all peoples. So here, all of us together, if we are members of this church, we are covenanted together to cheerfully give of our financial resources for the purpose of ministry and for the promotion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's your covenant commitment to those you're sitting next to. So we ought to be giving of our financial resources. That's what we ought to be doing next. So in 2014, we're going to be looking at creating a platform for online giving. Now, I want to talk about this just for a moment. Now, I realize that the majority of our giving um, will never shift away from physical giving. And that's not my aim. My aim is not to take all of our church members and go to online giving. That's That's not the goal. What my goal is, is to facilitate an opportunity for those of the millennial generation to obey God in giving of their financial resources. Okay? So what we have is, and I'm, I'm one of them, um, at no point in the last two months have I had the checkbook in my hands. It just doesn't happen. Maybe there's a reason for that, I'm not sure. But I don't, I don't carry a checkbook. And most of our young folks, they, they don't have checkbooks either. Or if they do, they're hidden away in some drawer in their desk something. They don't use them. And most of the time, um, Cameron is just a, a typical example. He has no cash on him at, at all, most of the time. If you need cash from the guy, you have to like, tell him so he can go to the bank. But that's just the way of it. How we use our debit cards, we pay for everything from Christmas gifts to um, going out to eat, whatever it might be. And, and so as a church, we have an entire population, uh, a, a people group within our own church, who it's, it's very inconvenient for their life to give. And it doesn't mean that their heart's not willing to. It just means that they, they don't have the, the, the resources. They don't have the, uh, the same kind of life uh, expectations that you do 
if you're a senior adult or if you're older and older generation. And so what we want to do as a church is create an opportunity, a platform for them to be able to be obedient in a convenient way uh, that makes sense with the way that they live. And so that's why we're going to be looking at creating an online giving platform. Next. And if, if you uh, just go back to that, if you are interested in that, please put that on that uh, form, that response sheet. Here in just a few minutes, you'll have an opportunity to say, yes, that's something that I would definitely be interested in doing is doing online giving. Next, we'll begin an incremental increase of our cooperative program um, over the next 10 years. Oops. That's okay. Keep going. Yeah. Okay, next. So why support the cooperative program? I'm going to try and go through these quickly. I realize that it's 12 o'clock. In 1845, the Southern Convention was established so that the local churches could come together to accomplish the Great Commission. That was the reason for the formulation of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, and since the cooperative programs launched in 1925, uh, the, uh, the churches of the Southern Baptist Convention decided uh, that they would be better off together if they would pool their resources to be able to send out missionaries and to do church planting. Next. And this is kind of a diagram for how the cooperative program works. If you're not familiar with the cooperative program, uh, they, they say it's kind of like a mighty river. Up at the top in the green, you'll see the churches of the Southern Baptist Convention who give financially uh, to their state conventions, which you see those state pools. And, uh, and then they send on their funds to the national CP, which is there in the center. And the national CP uh, distributes the funds then to Southern Baptist entities. And then we have those two massive rivers on the side. That is Lottie Moon Christmas Offering and the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering. The, the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering goes toward international missions. The Annie Armstrong uh, Offering goes to North American missions. But 50% of what the CP receives from the churches at the Southern Baptist Convention go to international missions. And nearly 23% goes toward the North American Mission Board. Next. So what do your CP dollars do? I think I'm about to read these from here. Well, churches in Kentucky work together to support a wide array of ministries and missions, including evangelism efforts, children's homes, volunteer missions, missions education, new churches, collegiate ministries, camps, and much more. And then through the International Mission Board, Southern Baptist supported approximately 5,624 missionaries who are engaging 655 people groups of populations greater than 100,000 around the world. Um, next. Church planting and evangelism efforts coordinated by our North American Mission Board and individual state conventions result in more than 1,000 evangelistic churches planted each year. And working together as Southern Baptists through the cooperative program, we saw 314,956 new believers baptized in 2013. So this is what, when we talk about cooperative program giving, uh, that, that's why we want to give to the cooperative program. And we can give more. Than what we have been. I discovered this as we were. I was looking at some of the the history. In 1932, the worst year of the Great Depression, our congregation, Jefferson Town Baptist Church, 1932, was roughly the same size as it is now. They gave 466 dollars to the cooperative program. Next, 466 dollars today would be about 7,328 dollars today with inflation in mind. So when we consider that inflation, in the worst year of the Great Depression, our church 
gave almost double to the cooperative program what we gave last year. My point is, we can give more. We're not in the Great Depression. We can give more. Next. So stewardship advance in 2014. The final thing is we want to begin a capital growth campaign on March 1st. And the reason for that capital growth campaign will be for our facility restoration projects. Go ahead to the next one. And continue. All right. The first one, the priority number one, is the restoration of the sanctuary. We're going to request some bids um, and uh, get those bids to do the repair work and, and repainting of the sanctuary. I want you just to stop because most of the time you come into the sanctuary, uh, you don't notice things, right? Because we come here every week. I just want you to look around. Look at that massive crack right there. There's another one that goes straight down the middle. If you look next to you on the walls, you'll see there's, there's pieces of plaster that are coming off, paint that is peeling. There's some serious work that needs to be done in this sanctuary. Now, the reason I point that out is not for you guests who are here with us to say, wow, these people, they don't even take care of their buildings. Well, my point is, we have a project here, and we need to raise money to do it. Okay, It's not cheap to paint a sanctuary like this. And so that's where we're going to begin the capital growth campaign. Next, we want to relocate the sound booth to the balcony where Lizzie is. We're up in the balcony so she can see everything from the bird's eye point of view. Next, we will install new lighting in the sanctuary. Uh, I'm not suggesting we necessarily get rid of these lights. I'm, I'm not saying that necessarily. But we want to add lights. Lights on the sides where we see the banners. Uh, recess lighting, stage lighting, next. And then finally, we want to remodel the sanctuary foyer. You know, those new doors look incredibly beautiful, don't they? But we need to, we need to finish the project by, uh, by remodeling that foyer. So we're going to do that in 2014. The second priority is repainting of the stairways and second and third floor hallways in the educational building. Now, uh, if you, you've probably grown accustomed to the fellowship hall by now. But it looks nice, doesn't it? Yeah? We want the rest of the educational building to look like that. And so that's what we want to do also in 2014. That's a that we can do ourselves. Next. All right. We're coming to the end of our, our presentation. Here we go. This is a report on Move 2013 from our own people well the move event that i was participating in was uh the jefferson town area group initiatives were pretty much centered right here in, in the j town area that was the idea and this year we set up um, uh, a few initiatives project kids here on the church grounds bouncy house things or a lot of food and mostly the fact that people with children that might not otherwise have a place to connect, uh, found themselves very much at home. They came and they, they stayed, and some of them came back as a result of the initial contact. There was a, a woman who both we saw at the Project Kid and then later at the Gaslight Festival. And as she was leaving, um, one of the church members here asked her, are you looking for a church? And she said, no, not really. But she smiled as if there were some other feelings, and she was asked, well, do you feel like a church is looking for you? And she smiled 